Well, as he said, we are in a uh, series on uh, a few of the human emotions that we deal with. Uh, we are calling it Easter and the emotions, where we look at a few normal, everyday emotions that we live with out of the Psalms in light of Jesus' resurrection. So far, we've talked uh, fear, guilt, anger, uh, and this week we're talking shame. Shame. I saw an article this week, I don't endorse the article necessarily, but uh, the, titled, the title of the article went like this, Shame, colon, a concealed, contagious, and dangerous emotion. Concealed, contagious, and dangerous. What do you think of that? I think they're right. I think that they are right. As for it being uh, contagious, dangerous, that is right out of our psalm, clearly in our psalm. As for it being concealed... Uh, that's something uh, many of us in this room have some experience with, hard to identify. If you are uh, familiar with the Enneagram, the Enneagram is a personality profile. It's pretty in-depth. Uh, it labels you one of nine categories. Uh, I am in what's called an Enneagram 3. The 3 is that, that means shame is your kind of a, a primary uh, struggle for you. And there was a song that somebody wrote about all nine of the Enneagram types. And in the one on threes, the ones who wrestle with shame, uh, it's got uh, this line in it. It said, I finally see myself unabridged and overwhelmed. A mess of a story I'm ashamed to tell. A mess of a story I'm ashamed to tell. From dads that we are ashamed or we're embarrassed of to addictions that we want no one to ever know that we have or had. So even for some, how I became a Christian, that I don't have a story that's supposed to be this, you know, and I'm embarrassed of not having that story. But stories that we're ashamed to tell still have to be coped with, which is why that song also has this in it. Maybe I've done enough. I remember the first time I heard this. Maybe I've done enough and your golden child grew up. Maybe this trophy isn't real love. And with or without it, I'm good enough. I remember the first time I read the line, maybe this trophy isn't real love, and I had to catch my breath and think, why did no one tell me? My childhood, gone. What do you mean this trophy isn't real love? It's how I knew you loved me. What do you mean this trophy isn't real love? Now, we don't play Little League sports anymore, and we're not getting academic awards in high school. But what if, what if that diploma on your wall isn't real love? What if that promotion isn't real love? What if the chance to buy your dream house isn't real love? What if these are ways that we deal with shame that make us feel love but are not love? What if they are just ways that we avoid the feeling we're so afraid of. I say we stop avoiding, we dive in, and we start dealing with it. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at shame out of Psalm 69 under four headings. One, what is shame? Two, what does it feel like? How does David describe it? Three, where does it come from? Four, how is it healed? So what is it? What does it feel like? Where does it come from? How is it healed? So let's talk Psalm 69. Psalm 69, the, the broader context of the psalm is unknown. What, what was happening when David wrote the psalm was unknown. There's some speculation, but 
Uh, none of the speculation is really uh, has enough evidence to really say, I, I think that's in the backdrop. And so it's best that we don't uh, put one event on this psalm. And it doesn't mean that we don't know uh, anything about what was going on. In verse 4, it says, More, more in number than the hairs of my head are those who hate me without cause. Mighty are those who would destroy me, those who attack me with lies. What I did not steal, I must, must I now restore. So whatever the setting, whatever the event and the backdrop of Psalm 69 was, we know that it included people who David perceived to hate him without cause, uh, who attacked him with lies. I think the language of that is really uh, interesting that he felt attacked with the lies of others. And this psalm is one of his response to it. This psalm, Psalm 69, is one of the most vulnerable, one of the most honest psalms in all of the Bible. It is a back and forth emotional plea from David, from cry to praise, to cry to praise, to pleading to praise, back and forth. And in verse 19, we get a window into how David feels about shame, how he describes the shame that he feels. He goes like this. He says, you know my reproach, my shame, and my dishonor. My foes are all around me. Now, here's what I want you to see. Uh, shame sits in the middle, and it's got two kind of flanking, two blanketing terms on it. Reproach, dishonor. That gives some color to what he means by shame. And so I want to look at um, each of them. Reproach first. So in Psalm, in Psalm 22, this word reproach is used with uh, David's shame also, where he gives a really vivid picture of what, uh, what he perceives it to be, what he perceives, it to, perceives himself as. And it says, uh, verse 4 through 6, In your fathers, in you our fathers trusted, they trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued, and you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I, listen to this, but I, I am a worm, not a man. Scorned. That's the same Hebrew word, Hebrew, which the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. We translate it to English so we can read it. That's the same Hebrew word for reproach. Scorned by mankind and despised by the people. I am a worm. This is David. I am I, a worm. Why the worm imagery? Why that? In the middle of a... Uh, a Biblical dictionary on, uh, on worm. It says this. It's hard to put a good face on a worm. Amen. I feel like that didn't need to be said. Throughout history and across cultures, this creature has been quite consistent in its ability to stir up emotions of disgust. Here's the point. I am a worm is a statement of disgust. It is a statement of personal Disgust, And so on one side of shame is disgust. On the other side is dishonor. So to be honored is to have an esteemed place in society. To be wanted. To be a member of society who belongs and is wanted there. To be admired. To be dishonored is to not belong and to not have a place. To not be accepted. That's why in verse 12, in Psalm 69 verse 12, he, he says, I am publicly mocked. He says, I am the talk of those who sit in the gate, and the drunkards make songs about me. This is the center gate where the um, city, uh, the, the, everyone would come, and the drunk people would, make, would write songs and sing songs of mockery about him. See, here's the picture that David is painting of shame. 
It's an honest picture. It's a bleak picture, to be honest. It's a picture of personal disgust and public rejection. This is how David feels. Personal disgust, public rejection. See, the drumbeat of shame is this. I am not enough. Who I am is not enough. I know it, you know it. If you don't know it, you should know it. And if you knew it, you'd reject me. The drumbeat of shame is who I am is not enough. That the story marked by shame is a story marked by personal disgust and public rejection. The reality is, for many of us in real life, this gets cultivated over years and decades, often because of things out of our own control. Not always. Often for me, uh, when I, uh, even if I try to just kind of look back at my life, it's, it's really easy for me to see some of the abuse that existed in my childhood, to see uh, how, candidly, I was, uh, as a teenager, as a whatever teenager, ashamed of my family, embarrassed of my family. And to trace those lines forward and to see shame as a primary struggle, see where it got cultivated, it's pretty easy to see. And here's the reality. All the trophies in the world, not that I got that many trophies, but the ones I did get did nothing to deal with it. Nothing. They do not deal with it. The new house, the new promotion, it simply will not take it away. Shame is that I am not enough, or in David's terms, I am worthy of my disgust and your rejection. So what does it feel like? How does David describe what shame feels like? Well, back in verse 1, let's pick it up there. Psalm 69. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters, and a flood sweeps over me. Picture he's painting of someone sinking in mud, flood water rushing over me. The imagery uh, that I think might help us is if we could flash back, and this is not a enjoyable flashback, flash back to Harvey and some of the houses that we saw just covered in water and nothing we could do about it. My sister lives uh, down in Friendswood. They had a, a two-story house on the river. Uh, the pictures of it were water up to the roof on the second floor. If we could just imagine the, the hours in which that water just rose and rose and rose and there was nothing anyone could do to stop it. That's the picture he's painting right here. I am covered in the flood. It sweeps over me. My feet are stuck in mud. That's why Dodds, one of our pastors, said that shame isn't something that just goes away. It's not something you can just confess and then swim out of. Anger, we can confess it and generally it gets better. It doesn't mean it goes away, but we can talk it through and it gets better. Shame doesn't work that way. It just sits there. But then in verse 3, he takes a little deeper, takes us a little deeper into his soul. He says, I am weary with my crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. So David saying, God can't hear me. I can't see him, which makes sense because I'm under the water. I'm under the flood of my shame. I am trying to cry out, but I'm sitting underwater. I want to see him, but I'm, I, I can't see him. I am crying out and I am unseen. I am un." heard. This is the spiral of someone consumed with shame. I am drowning. I am sinking. I am crying out and no one is listening. 
I am unheard right now. But in verse 5, the spiral keeps going down. It says, Oh God, you know my folly. The wrongs I have done are not hidden from you. What I have done, it's not hidden from you. So obviously you are hiding yourself from me. And by the way, you should. There's a window into David's soul, the spiraling soul of someone consumed with shame. What I've done, it's not hidden. You're not unaware, so you're obviously hiding yourself from me. This is the spiral that a close family member of mine described when they first told me about the abortion they had when they were 16. They said, the shame that I have felt has swallowed me whole. In most of the last 25 years of my life, everything I have done has been trying to deal with the shame I feel. I prayed, asked God to take it away, but nothing, because I thought I would become unredeemable and unlovable. This is the real-life experience of the spiral David describes. But in the heart of this spiral, we see the deeper, the more root issue. It's the relational break between God and David. If we look back at verse 3, look back at verse 5, um, we see this gap, this break that's happened between David and God. Which takes us to where does shame come from? Where does it come from? So if at its core, at the core of this spiral, is a break between David and God, where then does shame come from? Well, for that, we have to leave Psalm 69 and go back to the beginning of the Bible. We have to go back to Genesis 2 when um, Adam and Eve were there, the first man, first woman. And it says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and will fast to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So at this point in the story, at this point in the story, we've got Adam and Eve. They're married. Um, they are naked. And shame does not exist. There is no shame currently existing at this point. But then uh, the serpent approaches, tempts Adam and Eve. They take the fruit they eat. And here's the result. Then the eyes of both were opened. And they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees in the garden. So there was no shame. They were naked and unashamed. Now they are naked, aware, and ashamed. And, and... There's some things that we can learn about shame out of this very practical things we can learn from this. First, that there is a nakedness to shame. Those of us who have wrestled with it, uh, we are far too well, or we know far too well what this nakedness feels like. But there's a nakedness, the feeling of being exposed and not liking what you see and knowing others won't like it either. Second, the natural next step is to hide. But did you notice where they hid? Back in the, in, in the text, in Genesis 3, it says that they hid among the trees in the garden. Among the trees of the garden. Here's the point. They took what God provided to sustain them, to nourish them, to cultivate them, or to care for them, sorry. And they used it to hide from God. So they took the trees that God provided for them, and they used them to hide from Him. Which is... No different than what we do. God provided the church to sustain us, to nourish us, 
And when we live our life hiding in plain sight, we are using what God provided for us to hide from Him. So in real life, it can look like um, using our doctrinal knowledge. It can be using the way in which we serve to hide from ourselves and from others. And when we do, we are simply replicating what Adam and Eve did in the garden. But we also learn that shame has affected all of us. Whether you're an Enneagram 3 or an Enneagram 7 or an Enneagram 1 through 9, we know that shame has affected every single one of us in this room. It might not be primary driver, but it has certainly affected all of us. Why? Because Genesis 3 sits at the heart of every one of our stories. The break between man and God that happened in Genesis 3 sits at the heart of every one of our stories. And the fruit of that break, shame, became part of all of our story. And I know uh, that some of us in this room might think, uh, I have never thought of myself as someone who struggles with shame. Uh, it's just never been the kind of thing that are, like, I know that I'm angry. Like, last week, Brandon, I get it. Like, I, I you know, 17 times a day, I'm raging and ready to boil. And so I, I know that anger is a problem, but shame, I've just never thought of that as something that I struggle with. And so Dodds, one of our pastors, again, put together a list of uh, words, words that associate with shame. I want to read you this list of words and just ask you to be honest about have I ever identified with any of these words? Not like are they like I always feel this, but just have they ever been there? Here they are. Inferior, weak, rejected, alienated, inadequate, failure, humiliated, difference, ignored, ridiculed, insulted, loser, disgraced, outcast, worthless, unlovable. I remember the uh, first time I ever went to counseling, uh, gosh, I don't know, 10, 12, 15 years ago or so. Not the first time ever. I spent a lot of my childhood in counseling um, as an adult. Sat down with my counselor and he said, hey, do you think of yourself as insecure? And I remember thinking, no, I'm not insecure. I've done a lot of things, but that's not one of them. At the end of the session, he um, said, you know, if, just at a snap, this is what I think. And I, I think you're probably a lot of this, this insecure. Uh, you, you strike me as really insecure, Brandon. In hindsight, um, I, like, it's really easy to try to go, like, prove that you are not something when at your core you really are. It, it's really easy to, to hear words like inferior, weak, rejected, alien, like, and go, no, I, I have none of these. When at our core, we often do feel these ways. So my guess is that at some point in your life, at least one of these words hit you. Why? Because Genesis 3 was written into every one of our stories. Shame entered the world when sin did, and when sin entered the world, there was a break between man and God. At its root, at its core, shame is the fruit of a broken relationship between man and God. And so, if that's the case, how then is it healed? It's healed through the power of a restored relationship with God. David knew this. Let me show you. Psalm 69, verse 16 through 18. Answer me, O Lord, for your steadfast love is good. According to your abundant mercy, turn to me. Hide not your face from your servant, for I am in distress. Make haste to answer me. Draw near to my soul. Redeem me. Ransom me because of my enemies. Listen to how relational that language is from David to God. Turn to me. Turn to me. 
Like when I, uh, when, when, I, when I feel like there's friction between my wife, Amanda, and myself, and we're in the kitchen and she's got her back to me, what do, I, what do I want her to do? I want her to just turn around and look at me. Turn to me. Don't hide your face from me. Answer me. Draw near to my soul. David knows shame gets healed only in a relationship with God. Shame management does not work. There's no class that you can go and take for shame management that will solve the problem. But he said one more thing in this verse. He said, redeem me. See, we've been trying to show you, uh, is that, is that there, there are ways in which we can cope with life. Like you can continue coping with all of the brokenness that's inside of you. But none of us need to simply be able to cope our way through life. We need a supernatural grace that heals and transforms and redeems the broken emotions that you and I live with. Shame is an emotion in need of redemption. But the particular Hebrew word that David used gives a window into what he thinks the kind of redemption that he needs is. The word redeemer, or redeem it means, it's the Hebrew word that means kinsman redeemer. So most literally, he's saying, um, hey, and be my kinsman redeemer. What is a kin, a family member? Treat me like kin. And in a theological dictionary on kinsman redeemer, in the middle of the paragraph, in the middle are the several paragraphs, this is what it says. That God would act as such a redeemer, proved his family connection with those he was to save. David is saying, Redeem me by treating me like family. The question is, when in the Bible does this happen? Answer, when the Father would send his Son to make us sons. When the Father would send his child to make us children. God would answer his prayer, turn to me, hide not your face from me, draw near to my soul. When he sends his Son into the world, the Son who on the cross would experience the flood of our Shame, the son who in his resurrection would be the one who could swim his way right out of it and redeem our shame. And when he did, it says in Colossians, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. And he put the source of shame to shame. So here's what shame will tell you. Like the existence, the living, breathing existence of shame, it'll say, you don't have a place at this table. You don't belong at our dinner table. You're an unwanted member of this family. And Jesus in his death and resurrection, putting the source of shame to shame, is saying, that's not true. That is not true. I am not embarrassed of you. I am not ashamed of you. I want you in my family. All that David wanted was found in the coming son who would make him a son, who would redeem him by treating him like family. So what does that mean for us? Here's what it means for us. That God is redeeming our shame inside a family. Inside God's family. Shame gets healed in a redeemed family. And so when we say every week, the church is not an event, it's a family. It's because shame gets healed inside a family. Inside a redeemed family. A family where we can be honest, vulnerable, what David was not asking for was a series of events to go to. He was asking for God to treat him like family. In Christ, you are redeemed into a family where we can live as family. Our shame can get 
healed. And where you can follow David's vulnerable and honest example in Psalm 69. And where you can begin to see yourself as an honorable and honored child in Christ. Some of us in this room. Here's what we need today. Like, we, we want an action item. I get we want an action item. Let me give you the action item. Here's the action item that some of us need in this room today. We need to stop seeing ourselves as the unwanted child in God's family and begin to believe that in Christ you are an honored child in God's family. You are wanted at his dinner table. You need to start believing. That needs to be your action item. That you, that you are an honored child in God's family. That's why we value being a neighborhood church, a church that cares, not just where you worship, but where you live. Because we have to live close enough to one another to be and to live as a family. That's why it matters to us. It matters to us not just what you do on Sunday morning, but who you live life with throughout the week. Because shame gets healed inside a family. That's why we say build relationships with our neighbors. Expose them to the church because the church is the family of God where our shame and our shame can get healed. You need family. And a family to belong to the family where you remind one another that we are wanted, we are honored children in God's family. And so in light of that, I thought the Enneagram 3 song would be a good place to close. Because this is how the song ends. It says, now I want what's real. To let my heart feel what it feels. Gold, silver, or bronze hold no value here. Where work and rest are equally revered. I only want what's real. I set aside the highlight real. And leave my greatest failures on display. Worthy of love anyway. This is what Jesus thinks of you. Worthy of love anyway. Greatest failures on display. He already knows them. And what he thinks of you, worthy of love, mean way. This is our action item for us today. Is to simply believe what God believes about us. Let's pray.